Sam didn't tell me when he invited me here that I would be abused like this. I thought your Canadian people were really sweet and gracious. Until <laughs> I get to know you. Um, for those of you who have not read any of my books or some of my books, be encouraged. Even I haven't read all of my books. So, you're in good company. <laughs> I'm very honored to be here. I've wanted to come to Canada for a number of years, as Brother Sam shared, and just felt within me it wasn't the right time. I hope it's the right time uh, now. We'll find out when it's over. But I had, I had peace about coming, and this is a great privilege to me. <clears throat> this is a great country. Uh, I admire your country. I'm humbled to be here, to be honest with you. So I want to thank Brother Sam and uh, Brother Rad, Brother Mark. Where's Brother Mark? There it is. Okay. And Brother Allen for inviting me to come. Uh, I also want to add this. If I say anything to you over the course of tonight, the next day, tomorrow, that offends you or makes you upset, Please direct your stones at Sam Buick because he invited me here. And it's not intentional, trust me. I, I grew up in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains where there were lakes and mountains and hills and swervy, curvy roads and forests and snowfall. Uh, my family, who still lives up there, they call it God's country. And when I got off the plane and the brothers drove me through Toronto, uh, I felt very much at home. This is just like what I grew up with. That's, that's a compliment. <laughs> and I'll say something else, too, in the way of compliment, a kind word to, to the people of Canada. Uh, Christians who are judgmental, uh, self-righteous, and tend to believe the worst about other Christians are quite common in my country, which is unfortunate. Now, I don't know if this is universal, but all of the Christians I have met from Canada were not cut out of that cloth. They were and have been some of the most gracious, Christ-like people I've ever met. So I, I really feel comfortable right now being among you, and I, I, hope, I hope I feel that way at the end of the conference. Um, if I can still say that. But it is an honest observation. I really wish I had nine weeks with you because uh, there's a lot on my heart to share, and we only have tonight, and we have most of the day tomorrow. It's a very short conference, so I, I want you to be keenly aware of this one fact, and that is that there's only so much that can be said in such a short time, and this is not going to be a finalization, it's really a beginning, an introduction. I will be talking about things that, um, in my opinion, are, are not addressed a lot in house church circles. 
and I feel they need to be. But know this, that uh, we will hopefully make a dent in, in what I, I feel God has put on my heart. And hopefully I will be invited again and we can do part two and go further. Because I'll tell you what, this is what's going to happen. I'm putting on my prophet's mantle now. A lot of you, are, if you survive uh, till the end, uh, are going to say, okay, that's great, but what about this, what about that, what about this, what about that? And the fact of the matter is, saints, this is truly, this is not add water and stir. It takes time to unravel. There's just so much. And there's so much that can be done in a short time. So please know this. This is an introduction today and tomorrow. And I hope you will come tomorrow because tonight I'm going to clear the deck, so to speak. I'm going to get some very weighty things off my chest that are on my heart pretty heavy. And I will do a little bit of deconstruction, not toward the institutional church. I've already done that in a little red book uh, that some of you have read. But I'm talking about, in our world, those of us who are outside the organized church, there are issues that uh, are heavy on me. And tomorrow, all day tomorrow, we will build. So tonight we'll be looking at problems, and tomorrow will be solutions an introduction to it. Let me give you a little bit of background about me. I was born at a very young age. (laughs) I've been outside the institutional church for 21 years, and I have been experimenting ever since that time. And I've experienced lots of failure, uh, lots of mistakes, a whole lot of stupid decisions that turned out to be insane, uh, as well as stumbling uh, across some uh, wonderful discoveries, life-changing discoveries, and some successes, and a whole lot of observations. And so what I will be sharing with you tonight and tomorrow, uh, it comes out of my experience, and it comes out of my observations. I'm not going to give you theories. At the same time, I want you to know this. I am no expert. I'm still in school. I'm still learning. I think it was N.T. Wright who said, uh, two-thirds of what I'm going to share with you is wrong. I just don't know which (laughs) two-thirds. That would be true of me. I don't have a very high view of myself in the sense of thinking that I'm, you know, someone who's going to to tell you the answers to the universe. I think it was John Wimber who said, I'm, I'm just a, a fat man trying to go to heaven. I'm just a bald guy trying to survive hate mail. <laughs> okay. I, I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry. Don't mean to let all the Pentecostals down by uh, giving the wrong reference there. First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verse one. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with 
superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, verse 2, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to repeat that, verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I determined, I intended to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, or Jesus Christ and His cross. And that's where I'd like to pitch my tent tonight. Let me read a letter that was written to me that will give you an idea of where the house church movement is headed in my country, what it looks like. Dear Frank, your books have given my wife and I a great hunger to know this kind of church experience that you write about. We left the traditional church a while ago, and for the last year we have been trying to find the kind of church experience you write about in your books. We are very frustrated. We have found house churches and simple churches on the internet, and here's what we found. Many of them are just like the traditional church, except they just meet in a home. They have a pastor or someone that goes by reverend. Some of them are Bible studies, and I didn't learn anything new. It was all the same stuff I learned in the traditional church. Some of the ones that call themselves simple churches we found to be very shallow. No one talks about the Lord. They just talk about their lives. Most of these groups just meet once a week. There's really no community life. Some of them are very doctrinal and they love talking about theology and different doctrines. Some just seem to us like social clubs where... People ate together and talked about non-spiritual things all the time. We have visited many groups and none of them are what you talk about in your books. We are at the point where we are willing to move to be in the real thing. We want Jesus and we want to be in a community that is knowing Him. Can you help us? Now, brothers and sisters, I can multiply many more letters that are just like this unfortunately and so I want to talk to you about my concerns for the house church movement especially in my country where it's headed the form it's taken I don't have any idea about what the house church movement is like in Canada but I have a notion that some of this will apply maybe all of it will apply Hence the reason why I want to talk about this tonight. To put it in a sentence, a great deal of house churches in my country are inane, insipid, colorless, anemic, and shallow. A great majority of them don't last very long. They end up disintegrating very quickly. Or they move toward a traditional structure. The movement as a whole lacks depth. It lacks spiritual experience. It lacks spiritual insight. It lacks a revelation of God's eternal purpose. 
and it lacks an understanding of the cross. Now, I don't say that to be critical. I say that soberly. The house church movement in its present form in my country, brothers and sisters, will not turn the world upside down. It just won't. And most of them do not attract many people at all, whether Christians or non-Christians. And to be quite honest with you, and many of the ones that I have visited, I would not join them. Not that they were bad, but they lack so much in the way of what the church, I believe, really could be and has been called to be. Now let me just say this so you understand my heart. Everything that I will say tonight and tomorrow, I have one goal. And even if it may sound critical to you, uh, I have one goal, and that is to clear away the clutter and the debris that I believe is an obstacle and a hindrance to the centrality, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of His house and what He called it to be. That's my only motive. That's all I'm interested in. When I wrote uh, Pagan Christianity, if you look at the very beginning of that book, we say, Georgia Barna and I say, we are writing this to clear the deck and to bring into view the headship of Jesus Christ back again. And we say that at the end. Of course, people forget that as they're reading all the (laughs) slash and burn in the middle. Uh, (laughs) But that's the motive. So I want to talk to you I want to talk to you about the house church movement. I, I am not an advocate. Now this may shock some of you. I am not an advocate of house church. Let me explain why. What is a house church? Yes. I mean, what does that mean? The basic definition of a house church is a group of Christians that meets for church in a home. Well, that's a really wide tent. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that covers a pastor giving sermons in a living room. That covers a glorified Bible study. That covers a weekly supper fest where people get together and eat. That covers a full-pledged, grade-A certified cult. Are you following what I'm saying? Meeting in a home doesn't make you a church any more than sitting in a donut shop makes you a police officer. (laughs) All of my relatives are police officers, so I could say that. It's a joke, folks. My grandfather and all my cousins are police officers. Some of them are sheriff. It doesn't make you a church any more than sitting in a garage makes you an automobile. There's nothing magical about the living room. Our passion should never be a living room. Our passion should be only Christ and Christ alone. His centrality, His headship, His glorious person, Him and Him alone. That's the only passion, brothers and sisters, that should drive us. So when you say house church or simple church, I'm asking what 
What are we talking about here? Uh, Those words do not convey to me what the basis of that gathering is, how they meet, why they meet, if they have community or not. It really says nothing. It's, It's kind of like saying I'm an advocate of plants. Right? What kind of plants are you talking about? You're talking about weeds or oak trees, you know? So, I don't like to use the word house church because it really conveys nothing more than meeting in a living room. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm not excited about meeting in a living room. So I use the term organic expression of the church. And even here we run into problems because unfortunately, just like everything else, the words organic church have been hijacked and co-opted to mean many different things. Many churches, in my personal judgment, say they're organic churches and quite frankly there's nothing organic about them. So we have, we're in a situation where we have to define what we mean. So here is my definition of an organic church. And I believe the churches in the New Testament were all organic, opposed to institutional. I believe the organic expression of the church is the church after God's own heart. I believe the organic expression of the church is the church that God established. It's the only church He knows. There's no other kind of church from His viewpoint. So here is how I define it. It is a group of people who are gathering under the headship of Jesus Christ and who are learning to live by His indwelling life. I'll run that by again. There's a group of people who are gathering under the headship of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is clear. Jesus is the head of His body. Well, an organic expression of the church is making that practical and living it out. And it is a group of people who are learning to live by a life not their own. They're learning to live by Christ who indwells them together. Hence the word organic. Organic means living. comes out of life. What life are we talking about? The life of Jesus Christ. And it is, it is my experience, it is my observation, it is my belief that if you bring together a group of people, they come to Christ, whether they're just new converts or seasoned Christians, and they learn how to live by Christ together, you will see an expression come into being. And what is that? It's the church. It's the ecclesia. It will not produce so many of the things that characterize what we know as the institutional church. Not if you're living by Christ. That's not going to come out. I'm talking about people who are living by His life together and allowing that to shape their lives together as as a people. And so that's the way I define it. Here's a further description. Organic church life is profoundly simple yet endlessly complicated. It satisfies the deepest longings of the human spirit, but frustrates the soul and bids death to the flesh. It's at the same time rewarding and maddening. It is without a doubt the greatest spiritual experience a mortal can know. Why? Simply because God has chosen the ecclesia in her organic expression to reveal the glories and riches of His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus. 
and to bring to this earth the fellowship that exists within the Trinity. Now, house church and simple church really don't convey that, do they? Eh? (laughs) I want to talk to you about the organic expression of the church, and this is going to be my opening statement. Organic church life is the most glorious experience that a Christian can know, but it doesn't work. It never has worked, and it never will work unless you embrace the cross. And if you don't hear anything else this weekend, if you can remember that, then this conference has paid for itself. Whatever the registration fee was, I'll tell you what, raise it to the tenth power. That is one of the greatest secrets I have made in my Christian life. Organic church life is the most glorious experience a Christian can know, but it doesn't work. Never has worked. Will never work. Unless you embrace the cross. Now I'm going to unravel that tomorrow. I will unravel that tomorrow, I promise. Let me give you a few impressions on the house church movement as I see it taking shape in America. And if any of this fits in Canada, I have a notion it will, then I hope you will not just put it in your notebook, but I hope you will bring it to the Lord and I hope you will allow what is said to touch your heart and to affect change in your life. If not, then in my personal judgment, much of the conference, not all of it, is, will be a waste. Uh, here's my feeling on conferences. Most of the time we come, we hear somebody speak, like me. You know, we write down some notes and we go home and then two weeks later or a week later we forget about it and it's just a memory. And I don't know how to stop that from happening. I don't have the answer to that. I will just say this. What I'm going to say to you tonight and tomorrow are things that I believe are very weighty. They're some of the weightiest things I have to say. And they're not going to be a repeat of what I've written in my books, although some of it will parallel. But I really want to encourage you to bring these things to the Lord and do business with God over them. And if there are areas of adjustment, either in your thinking or your heart, uh, I'm not talking about the two-thirds that are wrong. I'm talking about the rest of it. Um, Let the Lord speak to you and respond. Please respond. Because then this time together will have eternal value. It won't just be an event that comes and passes. And I want you to know something else, too. One of the major reasons why I'm here is I am here to learn from you. I want to know what's happening in Canada. So I will be talking to you. I've already learned quite a bit in the short time I was with Brother Alan and Brother Sam and Brother Rad. So I'm, I'm learning. All right. Impressions. The first one. I've never publicly talked about this until now and this may be something that's going to be a dead ringer for some of you or it may be something that's going to come uh, into your life down the street 
and be applicable two years from now or three years from now. I don't know. But there is emerging in my country and I believe throughout the world a new viewpoint of church. Brand new. And I call it the post-church view. Post-church. You know, we got post-denominational and post-evangelical. Well, this is post-church. What is it? It is the viewpoint that says that all church is. Is whenever you get together with your friends, either locally or extra-locally, could be a phone call to somebody in another country. Could be coffee at Starbucks once a month, once every three months, whenever it happens. And in those very short periods of time, those sporadic periods of time, you had church. Church happens. Uh, I'm going to call Mark, Brother Mark White. We haven't talked in six months. We have a phone conversation the last two hours. I just had church with Mark. Then I talked to a friend in Dallas, Texas. I live in Florida. We're having church. Then I call up some of my friends who live in another town not too far away. Let's meet at Starbucks next week. We're having church. What church do you belong to? According to the post-church view, I belong to the same church you belong to. We're all part of the same church. Church happens. And according to this view, listen now, because we're all part of the same church, doesn't matter where you live, where I live, or church happens whenever we talk. We can have an internet conversation over email. We had church. I was at church last week. I got a fax from my friend. That was church. Because we all belong to the same church, well, then the idea of planting a church doesn't make any sense. And then the idea of church planters doesn't make any sense either because why do you need to plant a church when you're the church and I'm the church and church happens and we're all part of the same church? Right? This is the post-church view. And it is picking up steam, in my country at least. Very popular. And I'll tell you what, it's very attractive, listen, to people who have gotten hurt by other Christians, either in the institutional church or, dare I say it, a house church. Because what it does is it fulfills the desire for intimacy on a certain level without any commitment. I'm going to run that by again. It fulfills the desire for intimacy on a certain level without any commitment whatsoever. And the proof text for the post-church view is Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of you. So if we're having Starbucks and it's two or three, that's church. Jesus is in the midst. Now I want to make some observations about this, brothers and sisters, and I want you to, to think with me as I go through this. There's nothing wrong with having fellowship at Starbucks. There's nothing wrong with phone calls internationally or Skype or internet conversations. I don't want you to hear me saying that. And we're all part of the body of Christ, okay? I'm not saying that either. But 
Well, we're talking about the ecclesia. Something very different. That post-church view is a redefinition of church. It's a total redefinition from what it is in the New Testament. So let me start here. Matthew 18. What is Jesus talking about? Sometime this weekend, go to Matthew 18. It's in the latter portion of the chapter, around verse 18, verse 20, etc. Here's what the Lord says. If someone, presumably that you know, sins against you, you're to go to them in private and tell them they hurt you and that you were injured, hoping to reconcile with them. And if they blow you off, you're to get two or three others, presumably of the same fellowship. Context is very clear about that. So you get two or three, and you sit down with the person and you say, I tried to talk to you myself, you wouldn't hear me. I want this relationship repaired, and I have two witnesses here that feel the same way. And if the person blows all four of you off, then Jesus says, tell it to the church. Now, how can two or three be the church if the two or three are supposed to tell it to the church? Are you with me? Incoherent. The two or three are simply part of a local ecclesia. They are not the church. Else, they couldn't go tell the church if they were the church. Are you following this? And then if they don't hear the church, put them out. And then Jesus says again about the two or three, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. In other words, those two or three in that local assembly, in that situation, represent me. And presumably if they pray for this person to come back, that's the context. I'm in their midst. I'm standing with them. I'm in their presence. It's talking about an excommunication meeting, brothers and sisters. It's not a definition of the church. Are you with me? It's a classic example of taking a verse out of its entire context and building a doctrine around it. If you don't believe me, look at it sometime. The two or three are to tell it to the church. So brothers and sisters, two or three gathered together is not an ecclesia. Maybe the very beginning of one. But it's not the ecclesia. It's not the community. <clears throat> Let me rattle off very quickly why the post-church view, I believe, is not compatible with the New Testament. First of all, it's not compatible with what the word ecclesia means. All throughout the New Testament, any good scholar will tell you this. And I'll just reference one of them. Robert Banks, dear friend of mine, one of the best New Testament scholars of our time, wrote a classic book called Paul's Idea of Community. And in it, he talks about what the meaning of the word ecclesia was in the first century. It was a community of people who assembled regularly. They got together physically regularly. Okay? First century Christians, first century secular people had no other concept of ecclesia but that it was a community of people that assembled together regularly. They're called forth from their private homes. This is where it comes from in the Greek world. Called 
forth, not out, called forth from their private homes and then met together in the forum to have an ecclesia. That's how the Greeks made decisions. And it was a regular event. So the post-church view fails that definition. The other thing it does is it fails the epistle test. In the first century, you could write a letter to any church and the church would read it. So Paul can write a letter to the Corinthians or the Thessalonians or the Philippians and the whole church would read it together. In fact, he says in Colossians, uh, read this letter to the whole church and when you're done, have it sent to the church in the Laodiceans and have them read it and then read their letter that I wrote to them. How is a whole church going to read a letter if you're part of the post-church? I call it the phantom church. The nebulous church. The amorphous church. The ghost church. You can't spot it. You can't write a letter to it. By the way, the institutional church, most of them, this is not a criticism, it's an observation, would fail the epistle test too because when you write a letter to an institutional church, who do you write that letter to? write it to the pastor. The congregation virtually never hears it. You write to the pastor. This is most of the time. There's always exceptions. You can't visit a post-church church. Now in the first century you can visit any of the churches that Paul raised up. You can go to Corinth and meet Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and sit in the home of Gaius. And you can meet these people like Chloe did. Chloe and her house met the saints in the church of Corinth. Because they gathered together regularly. You can actually visit it. You can visit the church in Jerusalem and meet Peter and James and John and Mary, the Lord's mother. You can't do that with post-church. It's unvisitable. Now I'll just add these two other points. It fails the narrative reading of the New Testament test. If you were to take an individual and put them in some island somewhere. Let's say they never had a Christian influence at all. Just imagine a a young adult off in some island, never had a Christian influence, never been to a church service, never heard preachers preach, never read Christian books, and you gave them the New Testament, but you gave it to them in chronological order, and there are Bibles like that out there. So they they got the New Testament in chronological order. They're going to read the book of Acts, and then they're going to come to... Galatians, and then they're going to come to James, and then they're going to come to the other letters. They're going to read chronologically. There is no way, there's no way they would come up with a post-church church. Impossible. It's not there. These were communities of people who met together regularly and had a shared life together. And they were local. In every city it was that way. And I'll say something else too. It's a question. Do you think you would find the modern-day traditional church in that narrative. I would dare say you wouldn't find that either. You'd find something very different. My point is, I believe, brothers and sisters, we have strayed far, 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 far afield from the way it was in the beginning. I'm not talking about wearing togas and sandals. I'm talking about... (laughs) The organic expression of this living organism, this community of people who lived a shared life in Jesus Christ. And the other test it fails is the eternal purpose of God. And in the morning I will probably share with you one of the most important things I have to say this weekend. 
God's eternal purpose. There's something that is in His heart that beats strong. It's been there from eternity. It's the whole reason why the church exists. It's, it's the reason why the planet exists. It's the reason why we're in this room breathing oxygen. And I want to give you a little analogy to illustrate this. There's a father. He has seven kids. One Christmas day, he buys them all a gift. Each one gets a musical instrument. His oldest son gets a trombone. His oldest daughter gets a trumpet. His second oldest son gets a guitar. Second oldest daughter gets a flute. Another one gets a bass. Another one gets a drum kit. And on and on. All seven kids get different instruments, right? They're free gifts given from the father to his children. And they take music lessons and they learn how to play their instruments. And they're very good. They all excel. And they love it. It's a great joy to them. Uh, one of the sons, he loves to play guitar. In fact, it's a comfort activity for him. When he gets down, plays his guitar. He just loves it. Same way with the, the other ones, playing the flute, the, the drums. They excel. And years pass by and the father brings the children together and he says, Kids, I want you to know why I gave you those free gifts. It wasn't so that you can enjoy them by yourselves. I'm building an orchestra, the sound of which this earth has never heard. And I am inviting you to be on the team. And so God the Father gives the gift of eternal life to those who call on the name of His Son. And we enjoy the free gift. But brothers and sisters, it's not for us. He's building something. And in every city, He wants a house made up of living stones that have been, to quote Paul, built together to form a habitation of God, a house, a resting place, a dwelling place. And brothers and sisters, it's not for you and it's not for me. It is for His purpose, His desire, His eternal passion. Praise the Lord. It's for Him, not for us. And I'll tell you what, the post-church view, and many house churches, I'm afraid, have been infected by the individualistic, consumerist Christianity. But it's all about meeting our needs. I don't want to go to this church because I like the preaching. I want to go to this church because I like the youth program. I want to go to this church because I like the worship team. And guess what? Strip it back and it's all about you and me. Where is the burden and the passion for God and what He has been longing for, what's been in His beating heart from eternity, why He even created the church to begin with. This gets into His eternal purpose. And it is by Him, and it is for Him, and it is through Him, and it is to Him. And that's the only reason why any church should exist. Can I get a little itty bitty amen? All right.
So I, I'm done with the post-church view. I, I hope, brothers and sisters, you will not embrace this. It is the most convenient form of Christianity out there. It's more convenient than the institutional church. The institutional church is very convenient. You can go in to the building Sunday morning, clock in, sit down, follow the liturgy, listen to the sermon, take notes if you want, throw money in the offering plate if you want to, service is over, walk out, clock out, and you have been to church. That's pretty convenient, I think. I'm saying you can do that. Well, the post-church view is a lot more convenient. I mean, you don't have to leave your house. <laughs> Just pick up the phone. You've been to church. God's looking for a community yeah. of shared life yeah. in a local city, yes. in a local area yes. where Christ can be seen visibly yes. to the shame of principalities and powers. Oh, and that is a deep high thing, but it is what Paul said in Ephesians, that the manifold wisdom of God may be known through the ecclesia. It's not just about meeting in a home and having a good time or meeting at Starbucks once every two months, saying you had church. There's something in God's heart, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to convey this to you. I'm, I'm touching it. We'll look at it more tomorrow. There's something in God's heart that burns for His own passion and pleasure. And it has to do with this thing called ecclesia. Alright. Post-church aside. There's another concern I have. And it is the lack of hunger to know Jesus Christ. I have been to so many house church conferences. I've been to so many house churches. And uh, many of them very good and impressed with, blessed by, I've learned from. But so many brothers and sisters... I have to ask myself, where is the passion to know Christ deeply? Where is the fire to really know Him in all of His depths? Where is the heart that beats and pants for living waters? I'm standing here today for one reason, and that is as a young man, I was hungry to know my Lord. And I admit it, I really didn't know Him well. And that set me on a journey, and it led me on a head-on collision with body life and the organic expression of the church. That's where it led me. And yet, I'm around so many Christians today, and I'm talking about my country, and I have to ask, where's the hunger to know Him? Where's the desire? Where's the passion? Where's the fire? I've been in meetings and in conferences where the revelation of Jesus Christ was so rich and so high and so wonderful that it filled the people who were listening with awe and wonder and thankfulness. And yet, there's always a few people, they're in the same room hearing the same thing and their eyes are turning into concrete. And nothing reverberates, and nothing vibrates, and nothing resounds. And I, I, have, to, I have to ask myself, where am I? Why isn't there that hunger and that drive? I'm telling you this. The house church movement in my country, brothers and sisters, is not built on knowing Christ. He is a footnote somewhere. He's an elective course. All this other stuff. Evangelism. Bible study. How to meet perfectly. 
the home, getting your theology right, gifts of the Spirit, on and on and on and on, social justice, helping the poor. I mean, those are all good things. But brothers and sisters, if we can be interested in all those things, can we just at least be a little bit interested in Jesus Christ? So I ask myself, and I see young men, they're just all jazzed about serving God. And you talk about the deep and profound things of Christ. And thank God there's some who are riveted and they're bold enough and courageous enough and humble enough to admit, wow, I need to know my Lord. I don't know Him. I thought I did. But then there are others that there's no registration. There's, there's nothing. There's, where's the heartbeat? I don't understand it. And brothers and sisters, if our chief pursuit something other than Jesus Christ that guess what? We're building castles in the sand. We're blowing bubbles. We're building houses out of straw. There's only one foundation for a church. If Jesus Christ is not the beginning and the end of your understanding of the church, then you've got a flawed understanding of the church. I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and His cross. Hallelujah. And there, there is a great lack of churches, simple, home, whatever you want to call them, in my country, that beat with His heart and that are pursuing Him to know Him in all of His depths. Paul said late in his life that I might know Him. And I hope to God that in Canada there will be a people who have one passion, one pursuit, one drive, and that's to know Christ in all of His riches and glories and depths. And then to display Him, display Him visibly to one another, to the lost, and to angels and principalities. Yes, right. Knowing Christ. Well, another one is replacing a person of Christ with methods, techniques, strategies, innovative ideas. I can tell you stories, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I'm, I don't want to be long tonight. I told Sam I would not be longer than four hours. So... <laughs> I've been to many conferences, I've been to many round tables, and you know, it's really hard. Nobody makes this observation, but it's really hard to find a group of people in some of these events, some of these round tables, where people are talking about the Lord Jesus. Most of the time, people are looking for a technique, a method. Give me the strategy. Show me how to do this. Give me the method. Give me the right technique. I've been in roundtable conversations with other ministers. Bless their hearts, I love them all. And an hour of talking about the problems of the church and possible solutions. One hour goes by, nobody mentions Jesus Christ. Nobody. I'm sitting down taking notes. How many times is the Lord mentioned? And then somebody mentions Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, everybody perks up. And now we're all talking about the Lord. You know, He's easy to forget. Did you know that? 
And we can fill our lives with all sorts of stuff. Brothers and sisters, the house church movement's not going anywhere. Give it up if it's not going to be centered on Him. It's not. It's not worth a pint of salt if it's not centered in Jesus Christ and the pursuit of knowing Him and making Him visible. That's what the church is here to do. In case you didn't know, it's to assemble Him together, the parts of His body, to make Him visible. And to be His bride, and to be His body for His expression, and to be His family, and to be His house where He can lay His head. His Bethany, where He's rejected in a world that He created, and He's looking for a home, a place where He can lay His head, to be received as head, as all, as everything. Amen. Canadians praise the Lord too. Well, that's good. <laughs> and so we, we look for methods, we look for techniques, we look for strategies, and uh, the kingdom of God doesn't move. And brothers and sisters, those are all the wrong things to ask for and all the wrong places to look. If you preach methods, you will not get the church. If you preach Christ and His cross and show God's people how to know Him together, you will get the church in experience, in living color. And I want to say a word to those of you who are church planters or you may feel called to be a church planter. Brothers and sisters, whoever you are, if Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not your passion if you don't know Him as the living, breathing, vibrating drive of your life, then give up raising up the house of God. You'll build something else. And I'm going to talk about church planting tomorrow and perhaps give you a view of it that may be somewhat new to you. But I'm telling you, this whole thing centers on Him. And this is one of the problems as I perceive of the house church movement in my country it is not centered on Jesus Christ and this grieves me deeply and so as I'm standing here in Canada on your soil I'm pleading I'm down on one knee I'm begging you give the Lord a shot here and make him central and get interested in knowing him and forget about the methods and the strategies and the techniques and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and, and that brings me to this other point that concerns me a bit boy this is big in my country it is a lust to plant thousands of house churches this is big movement mentality we're going to plant thousands and thousands of house churches. We're going to take over the world. Now, I just want to make one point here, and I want you to listen to it. The ministry of Paul Tarsus. In my personal judgment, he had the greatest, most powerful, effective church planting ministry in history because he understood God's eternal purpose and he founded all of the churches on Christ. In his cross. His ministry lasted 20 years. He planted no more than 20 churches. 
Let that marinate. 20 years. He planted no more than 20 churches. And those churches, those 20 churches, spread the gospel to the Gentile world. And if you're a Gentile in this country, and I are, I'm Italian, we owe our salvation to the ministry of Paul Tarsus who went to the Gentiles. And I have to say to the guy who says he's planted 10,000 churches, I wouldn't give you 10,000 grains of salt for those churches. You cannot raise up the house of God as she should be raised up in mass on an assembly line. It will be shallow. There will be no quality. It will not reveal Christ in His depths and those people will not be held together when crisis comes. It's not going to happen. And I'll tell you what, I have friends. Some of my best friends are big movement people. And we, we love each other. We get along great. But I'm telling you, saints, God's way is to raise up just a few healthy, Christ-centered, authentic, organic churches to be examples. And it will spread that way. And it will be a deep work that will last long. Not the shallows that are blown about by the first wind and the first flare of conflict. Pentecostalism notwithstanding. And I are a Pentecostal. I grew up in the Pentecostal movement. And you know, we like big movements. We like big healings. We like lots of people. And as one person said, if a Pentecostal gives you a number about how many were saved or healed, you need to cut it in half and divide by two to get the actual number. We have a tendency to puff things up. Same number. <laughs> I know I'll tell you what to raise up a church properly and, and what I mean by that saints is I'm talking about bringing a group of people together and drowning them in a revelation of Christ where they're knowing him together sharing their life together laying their lives down for one another revealing him functioning in meetings where he is being put on display having a community life where the world looks at it and says, oh, how they love one another. Oh, I've never seen anything like this. That takes time. That's not a cookie cutter operation. I have seen some groups that are part of the big movement mentality. And here's what I found. I'm being dead honest. This is what I found. Three people meeting in a home once a week. Mama, Papa, and Crumb Cruncher. And that's the church. Now, I don't know if this is registering at all, but I'm telling you something. If this is going on in your country, brothers and sisters, please take another look at your New Testament and ask your Lord, what is the church? And what's your eternal purpose? And if it's not happening in your country... Thank God, but let me tell you something. It's headed here. All this stuff is headed here. And all I'm trying to say is, God will work through anything. He'll work through your every so now on meetings in Starbucks. I love those things, by the way. I love talking on the phone with Mark Wright the few times he actually calls me. Uh, I love 
I'm playing with you, brother. I love fellowshipping in informal settings. But brothers and sisters, please consider there's something higher. There's something deeper. There's something richer. There's something beyond meeting in a living room and eating cookies and drinking tea and talking about your wheat. There's something that has to do with the very heartbeat of God. And it has to do with revealing Christ, making Him visible again because He's still alive. Praise the Lord. He's still alive. And He can't be revealed through one member. He's too rich. He's too full. He's revealed through a body of believers. When they learn how to function together, and it takes time to function and learn how to function. It does. You know what? If we take... Alright, let me just say this. This is my experience now. Could be wrong. We take this table, this table, this table, this table. And let's just say we said to you all, okay, we're going to move into this part of town. And you're going to start having meetings every week. That's where you start once a week. Now we're going to crank it up a little bit later. You can have real community life. You're going to be in, in one of those lives. But just say once a week, we'll start out. Here's what your meeting will probably look like at first. It'll be silent. Somebody will say, Does anybody know how to play the guitar? No? Anybody have a CD to worship something? Yeah, I know. Okay. And uh, y'all will know each other that well, and a little uncomfortable, self-conscious. They might be singing, and as the weeks go by, it'll be a little freer. Then the sharing time. Y'all looking at one another. And then the the overfunctioners. <laughs> begin to share out of the Bible. Or they'll give their testimony. And they'll go on. On and on, and every period will be turned into a comma, and the others will be looking at their watch, looking at the floor, going to the back, going back, and they're going on. Then they'll stop. And it'll be quiet. About two thirds of the group will not say a word, but they'll be thinking volumes as they observe. And then the older functioner will be uncomfortable with the silence. <laughs> so his button will be pushed on again. He will continue and go on. And basically, that's how it will start. And then there will be some doctrinal disagreements because the older functioner doesn't have all of his theology right and somebody in the room is going to get very upset because he's mishandling the scripture. And then there's going to be a fight break out. And you think I'm kidding. I'll I'll bet you a million dollars out without that. We don't know how to function under the headship of Christ. We need to be trained how. And in the first century, there were guys running around who already experienced all this themselves as non-leaders. And their job was to go into a city Bring some people to the Lord. Bring them together and show them how. It's called equipping the saints. And that's not giving sermons. You're equipped. You got in your notebook. Go home. See you next week. I'll equip you again. No. It was very practical. And then he got out of there. And he left that group to the Holy Spirit. 
And they started to discover the reality of an indwelling Lord. And they discovered how to share Him in a meeting. And how to bring Him to one another. And how to give Him to one another. And it was an explosion of spiritual life. And when you went into those meetings, you were edified. And you were blessed. And every once in a while, an unbeliever would show up in one of those meetings and they would watch this happen. This superabundance of life of this risen Christ who that group had just encountered that week and was sharing out of a living, breathing experience. And they would watch this thing happen as one after the other after the other would prophesy. That is, share Christ. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is the revealing, the revelation of Christ. They would watch this happening and no one was leading and no one was orchestrating. No one was facilitating. And they would say, God is among this people. That's not just theory. And that's not just the New Testament. I have watched that with my own eyes. I've watched God's people come together and share the the living, breathing Christ in such reality and authenticity and depth and power. And nobody's leading the meeting. And the unbeliever's looking for the guy who's orchestrating it all. Where is he? Who's the guy that has to switch and pull in the strings? He's not there. Well, he is there. He's just invisible. And I watched unbelievers at the end of the meeting say, I don't understand this. I've never seen anything like this. But God is here. And I want Him. True story. So, brothers and sisters, this is my heart. This is my way of clearing the deck. And I don't know how you feel, but I feel burdens lifted from me. I hope that you will take these things to heart. I hope that in the soil of this great country, Jesus Christ will have a shot, a clear shot, at getting back what's rightfully here. The message you just heard is part one of a five-part series delivered in New Market, Canada in June 2009 by Frank Viola. The rest of the messages in this series can be heard by going to www.frankviola.com and clicking on the audio CDs link.